We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Weather games headline the big storylines of the fantasy semifinals week. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas, brought to you by WinBet. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter, bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. Find all of his great work over at Rotoviz. Sean, we're just talking a little bit before the show. We're kind of talking through our lineup decisions. Obviously, the listeners have a ton. We've, we've gotten some great questions. There are a lot of Tough start sits at this point in the season. And we, you know, we've talked all year about how not a lot has been, you know, crystal clear. There are a lot of players right now that you can find reasons to be excited about. You can also find concerns. I mean, like, for example, on one of our teams, we're sitting here just talking about Drake London. Great target share lately. Also, Atlanta's offense, we know from earlier in the season, can be a huge problem for pass volume. And so, kind of going back, weighing those pros and cons, there's a lot of players like that. And then on top of that this week, we get weather issues in, I think, more than half of the games are outdoor games that have some type of weather impact, either really cold temperatures. There's a few that are significantly cold with huge wind. I mean, the the, the Saints at Cleveland got asked about like a Chris Olave question. I don't think he can play him. I mean, he's been a deep ADOC guy. This is this looks like a game is going to be incredibly windy, sustained winds into the area, 25, 30 miles an hour in this area that significantly hinders passing with gusts even higher uh and you're, you're gonna have snow during the game in that one we're recording thursday morning i think this is going to release friday but we're, so we're not going to get a chance to talk about thursday night football on this one but that looks like it was for the listeners you know one that was impacted by weather you got some other you got chicago as one that looks like it's going to be a windy one and cold and several others that are outdoor cold and then you have on the flip side, games that are in domes this week, right? And so there are still some. I mean, it's not that every single game everywhere. I mean, Minnesota's playing at home. Indianapolis is playing at home. Dallas is at home. The California teams like San Francisco and the Rams are at home that create game environments that are basically okay. So there are good good games, right? And if you're in a situation where you're weighing a really tough start sit, I mean, I guess I'll kick it to you. What, like, how how much are you putting the weather into it? Because I think with a lot of these tough players, these pros and cons. I mean, Mike Williams is at Indianapolis this week. If he's somebody that you're really debating, because there's reasons to debate Mike Williams, I'm definitely pumping him up that he's in a dome this week. Yeah, you've got to give those guys 
preference in your lineup. And it's not even that in most of the situations it's going to end up being a problem, right? A lot of these guys are going to come through every once in a while. You even get situations where the weather plays out just such that the offense, knowing what the plays are, ends up having a huge advantage on the defense when you're cutting. And a good quarterback, a team that maybe practices in that and is familiar with it, can really take advantage and it can actually put up a big number and you wish you had those guys in. But when we're talking about the fantasy semifinals and you have even choices or close choices between two similar players who aren't wildly different in talent and have generally speaking workloads or roles within their team that are similar, you have to shift in direction of that guy who doesn't have the risk that you're going to be sitting there at halftime. You're going to be sitting there at the third quarter and thinking, what have I done now in many of these cases, you won't necessarily have that choice. What you're going to have is a very difficult choice between a potential star. Like we talked about with Garrett Wilson and someone that you really don't want to play. A couple of our other choices are other fun rookies in Drake, London, Traylon Burks, and Romeo Dobbs, but all three of those guys have issues with London. Obviously, it's the Atlanta offense, and as you pointed out to me, potentially even weather. With Dobbs, it's the fact that as dynamic as he was in Week 15, you're pointing out to me that he basically didn't run any routes. Ten <laughs> routes total, and and he, he earns five five targets on those ten routes and catches all five, and I mean, it's an incredible stat line for a guy who ran ten routes to catch five passes, but and especially with what he's done in the past, with how good he's looked, and the fact, fact that he's a rookie, it wouldn't surprise anybody, right, if he jumps way up in routes this week. But that's an uncertainty. You you don't know. And then, obviously, with Traylon Burks, he's coming off of an injury, and now you've got this quarterback dynamic with the Titans that really appears like it could push them out of the reality playoffs altogether. So you're going to be dealing with some of these lopsided questions, and Ben, those become the difficult ones. But as we know from getting start-set questions over the years, a lot of times people are asking us about matchups that are actually coin flips. And so a lot of that is going to go back on the manager, him or herself, and say, how are you seeing the game? Who do you feel the most comfortable playing? Who do you want to win with? Who are you comfortable losing with? But it does reinforce the idea that there are actually a lot of somewhat similar decisions. And in those, weather has to play a big role. Absolutely. And I think people... You know, one, one of the very common responses in this is like, just look at the, the game over under, for example, um, you know, the market's going to weigh it in. If we see the over under drop a ton, like we have seen in that Saints Browns game, I mean, it opened low and immediately dropped like five points and it's in the low thirties right now. It's one of the lowest over unders that, I mean, I, I don't have a ton of historical over under data stored anywhere, but I, it's one of the lowest over unders I can remember seeing and it, it might be one of the lowest in you know X amount of years or what have you. It's an incredibly low game total there. And and so there is an element where, yeah, like you can look at the markets and try to use them as the betting markets and try to use them as an indicator. But to your point, Sean, it's not always an issue. It, like sometimes it can favor the offense. And so we do see weather games that scoring's fine. I mean, we sometimes see the snow games where because, like you said, the offense knows the direction they're going. And it makes a lot of sense. The receivers know where they're going. The cornerbacks have to react and cut. It can actually benefit the pass routes. Uh, that's why, you know, we do see in the data that 
wind is the most significant concern because it's obviously going to affect pass accuracy. And then rain can even be more concerning than snow. If, if the rain is like really, really driving and hard, it can be something that really impacts obviously the slickness of the ball and all those things. Snow can actually be somewhat favorable because you can still get traction probably other rather than, you know, rain can make the field slick as well. I, I don't know. I'm just obviously hypothesizing here, but um, there are, my point is when we look at the market, there are still weather games that can go high scoring. So the market's not necessarily going to capture what I would argue with the weather games becomes a wider range, right? And a, a, a greater potential for the disaster outcomes for the offenses when the weather gets really bad. Maybe that's only 10% of the time or 15% of the time. It wouldn't be enough to change the over under because, I mean, whether a game goes under by or is expected to go under or what percentage the market thinks it, it has of going under by a touchdown or by 20 points because it's a you know a 10-3 game really doesn't wouldn't wouldn't affect that over under, which is you know sort of a break-even point metric. I don't know if I'm saying that particularly well, but if there's still room to have scoring in weather games, I don't know that the over-under would necessarily reflect the catastrophic, you know, risk of ruin elements, the small percentage, you know, tail outcomes of certain games. So just something I want to say to keep in mind because you know, there's a lot that goes into the markets and I do think they're very reflective of things that we should expect. But in some cases, it could be a, if the weather holds off, we think there's going to be scoring in this game number. But we also have to realize that if the weather doesn't hold off, there's the potential for a really catastrophic outcome in terms of the whole offense. And I mean, and when we're talking about guys can slip and, and offenses have favor favorable conditions, we sometimes see the big plays in snow games. Maybe you have a couple long touchdowns or something like that where there is scoring, but the the total yards, the sustainability of drives isn't there. That's what we want in fantasy. So, there, you know, there's various elements here where the over-under, I think, is not the only thing to keep in mind. We've watched, you and I, Sean, a lot of weather games where you're sitting there and you're going, oh, my God, no one's doing anything. I mean, they can't do anything. They're just running in and punting and playing field position. And it's, it's, it's a brutal thing to watch in December when you have a fantasy semifinal on the line. It is. And it, as you mentioned, it can affect so many games. One of the interesting ones here is Saints, Browns, not always just on the passing side either. As you mentioned in the zero RB playbook this week, I did a little bit more of a, I wouldn't exactly say deep dive, but explanation into where we are with Chubb and where we are with Kamara right now. Both of these guys averaging 20 points a game over the first nine and then collapsing. And on the Kamara side, that loss of value has come in terms of workload on the Nick Chubb side. It's come in terms of efficiency. And so I walked through kind of those two elements, but then also bring up the game level similarity projections then, which do emphasize this most recent stretch of games as those games are the most predictive using historical players, historical defense, making those matches, what have you. And GLSP hates both of these guys, which I don't think is a huge surprise knowing what we know about this game. And yet it can be hard to, Fully let that sink in when you're talking about Alvin Kamara and Nick Chubb. And then one of the things I really like to do as I get ready for these games and I think about my own start sit decisions and when you and I chat and all that type of thing is to look at it through the lens of different tools. And one of the things that we have on the NFL Player Explorer page is a matchups tab. And you can go in and look at the quality of the defense and you can look at the game environment and it actually shows you how that player, you can kind of choose how many games you want, but how that player has performed with specific 
team totals and how they've performed with various game totals, how the Camaras are really striking in that they illustrate so well that dynamic you're talking about where when there's a high implied points for his team and a high total for the game, I mean, he goes nuclear, right? And scores a ton of points. On the flip side of that, his scoring collapses in the opposite environment. And then to your point too about just how low the total is for this game, when you look at the line that indicates, <laughs> kind of the red line that indicates where they are for this week, it's almost off the page to the low side. And so all of those elements there combine to create this dynamic where there, there are multiple risks with those players. I don't think that in a lot of cases, fantasy managers are necessarily going to be in a position to sit those guys. And you would need to have a very good play to still sit those guys. Don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, we're not sitting these players, even with them being on a cold streak in the game environment for just random people you picked up off waivers who maybe had one good game and maybe have a path to like a 30% snap share and, you know, seven or eight touches. You're not doing that, but you are understanding where Kamara and Chubb fit in this week, which is not where they normally fit. Yeah. That's well put because I mean, I, I don't want to, everything I was saying about how weather games can be so bad. I don't want to give the impression that, I think you need to run away from any weather game. That's just certainly not. I mean, it's sort of a, in, in response to or in defense of weather being a concern because I do see a lot of analysts and a lot of smart people. And I, I agree with what they've, they've seen and what they under, understand to be true, but have argued and have shown that what the models and what the larger trends say about how weather impacts fantasy scoring. And for the most part, you know, it's not – a ton like like we probably overreact a little bit and you see that response on twitter a lot during games oh everybody wouldn't play I mean, we saw it last saturday night the bills dolphins it was going to be the lake effect snow then it became pretty clear that it wasn't actually going to be but for all the build up and hype around that there was ultimately like no effect i mean that was a an exciting fantasy game we had a, a game go over the the total a lot of points and you're like, oh man, if you sat, you know, players in that game, you'd be like, oh man, what was I thinking? What was I, you know, uh, how was I worried about, you know, Jalen Waddle who had a long touchdown or Tyree Kill or anyone else? You don't want to set stars just because of weather. But in defense of that, as a tiebreaker at least, I do think it is very viable to consider how these things can go awry. We saw some games in Cleveland last year, late last season, where the wind was really bad. They had a stretch there multiple games outdoor in Cleveland and just nothing happened in those football games. There was a couple games. I mean, I think it was this Detroit lions game. It was 13, 10. There's a later, maybe the Raiders game. It was 16, 14. I mean, and it's just not a lot of, a uh, lot, lot of total yards in either game. Not a lot happening. It, they were both very windy. As I recall, if, if those are the two, we got to be certainly most concerned about the wind and, and somewhat concerned about the weather. But as you said, I mean, it doesn't mean you you sit absolute stars. Somebody like Nick Chubb, for example, I mean, we could just see the, the, the Browns be very run heavy. Kamara, I think I'm a little more concerned about because he's always been a little bit more dependent on some of the pass game stuff. When he's only a run heavy running back, that's when it starts to be a, a problem. That's when his production starts to wane. I don't know. Do you agree with that? That, that, that Chubb maybe is less impacted by the weather than Kamara might be it's kind of shocking just how much his 
fantasy points over expectation have fallen off, right? And in part, that's because he was at such a high level. Those first nine games, he's averaging 1.2 touchdowns per game, 5.6 yards per attempt. The yards per attempt numbers for someone like Chubb are extremely impressive. And yet, I mean, he's a five yards per carry guy. So that part of it isn't necessarily astonishing. But in this most recent stretch, he's fallen to just 0.3 touchdowns per game, four yards per attempt. You can't help but wonder if a little bit of that are the accommodations they have to make for Deshaun Watson's return. Chubb is a guy who, I mean, his expected points are usually low enough that you need a massive efficiency game from him. And then he breaks tackles. He has these crazy numbers in terms of yards after contact. He scores from distance. Those types of things, I think, are more difficult, at least the the scoring element in all likelihood, in a game like this. And I think that if you don't think he's going to be able to blow up from an efficiency perspective, just his workload doesn't get you there on its own, which is one of the reasons why he's consistently drafted in the late second and then this year falls into the third and fourth rounds. But yeah, I, I mean, I do have, find it very hard to envision a scenario where you actually have people you could play ahead of Nick Chubb, especially because if he does break one of those long runs, you get there almost by yourself on that play. Right. And and certainly he'll have a lot of touchdown equity if they get in close, if they do score. I mean, someone's got to score some points. It's not like it's going to be a zero zero game, obviously. Um, and to the effect that, the Browns would actually score some points in this game. I would I would argue that it's more likely that those touchdowns would be Nick Chubb. It's already extremely likely that those touchdowns would be Nick Chubb, but even potentially more likely here where they're less probably likely to be throwing in close. And so you, yeah, I mean, you're, you described a lot of the ways he can be really efficient. One simpler way is a multi-touchdown game. I mean, a couple short touchdowns, maybe you get a turnover, whatever. I mean, some things can break favorably for backs that are this good. And they can break that way for Kamara as well, obviously. So, Again, these are reasons like not to necessarily freak out about the weather. That's the most extreme game, that Saints-Browns game. Basically, every outdoor game has concerns. Sean, we're going to be down to, to playing Mac Jones, and the Patriots are hosting the Bengals. That one has low temperatures, some wind, not substantial concerns. I'm actually maybe not panicking about that game too much but the Bengals are an offense that we know to be pass heavy lately and i compare that to a team like the chargers who are playing on the road in a dome and i mean it's like you have to be more optimistic about the chargers offense i think this week than the Bengals. i mean these are two teams that we like a lot and, and i mean you can get this is one where you could get this insight i'm trying to say just through looking at the implied team totals, looking at the Vegas lines, uh, the Chargers have a higher implied team total. But I'm I'm sort of optimistic about the Chargers passing game in this one uh, against Indy. They're a team that I think um, is it's something we talked about since the offseason that they had a, a pretty favorable fantasy playoff schedule, and it's you know it's going to potentially pay dividends here for anyone who has guys in that passing game the Bengals are an offense we know is going to be pretty pass heavy typically the Patriots are kind of a tough matchup but this is I mean a game with a lot of implications particularly on the Bengals side again cold weather 
wind in that range where it's not quite to where, you know, the models would say it's going to have a ma massive impact on the passing game, but it's right on that borderline, you know, it's 10 to 15 mile an hour range. And if you get these gusts and things, it can't, I mean, it doesn't have a substantial impact over a large average, but it can have an impact. Right. And it can also just impact the way teams call games. Right. So that's maybe a part of the concern here for me is the Patriots can be very run heavy when they want to be. And at home and in a December game with a little bit of wind, with a cold temperature, are we going to see a ton of running from the Patriots? Are we going to see Zach Taylor go into his turtle shell a little bit, which I think everyone in the fantasy community is a little bit concerned we might see at the wrong time because he's done that before, right? At the same time, you look at what the Bengals have done the last few weeks, they look like a team that, that are going to be league winners again this year. They do. And I keep loading up on the Bengals in underdogs gauntlet tournament. I really do think that, the easiest way to get yourself deep in that is for Cincinnati to come through and do well in the AFC playoffs. But you just think even back to last week where they have to score 34 unanswered and don't get going until this final drive of the first half where they go down and get a field goal. You don't really want to give up a half of production in these games late, especially I think against the Patriots as compared to the Buccaneers who could run more effectively now one of the things that the Bengals have done and you did see against tom brady is that their defense despite not really being a playmaking defense they did make some plays last week hard to move the ball against hard to sustain drives against so the Bengals keep getting the ball back when they have some of those quick three and outs or stalled drives early with a sack or what have you but this game doesn't set up particularly well even before you get into the weather element over the last five games the Patriots have been bottom 10 in giving up fantasy points to quarterbacks, and they've faced some guys in there who you'd expect to potentially go off. A Kirk Cousins, a Josh Allen. Last week, Derek Carr gets his weapons back, has Hunter Renfro, has Darren Waller out there. Waller scores a touchdown and <laughs> looks at least like he's ready to play a few plays. We know that they're going to come out and try and shut down the stars as well, and that's the part that really concerns me because obviously you're not ever benching Jamar Chase you're probably not benching T. Higgins, although with Chase back and healthy with Boyd out there and with Higgins having this kind of omnipresent sort of soft tissue concern now to where you might get a zero or something close to that, maybe if you're loaded, you might bench him. But Boyd and Higgins both have ratings according to the passing matchup rater outside the top 80 receivers and tight ends for this week. Not a surprise when you think about the caliber of the Patriots defense, and then especially with Chase, what they might try and do. Really, that's just to say you're going to have to be realistic about the range of outcomes for Chase this week because, I mean, he's an absolute superstar. And if the Bengals emphasize getting him the ball a little bit more than what the Raiders did last week, I mean, the Raiders almost capitulated and had this idea, and obviously Josh McDaniel, a lot of familiarity with Bill Belichick and how he's going to design his defense. They had some answers for the fact that the Patriots are looking to take away Adams, looking to take away Jacobs. The Bengals, even much more talented across the board. I think they're going to have some answers in that game and hopefully push the Patriots. But Stevenson looked good last week, despite the injury that he came in with. And if anything were to happen to him, you, you really do wonder because Pierre Strong flashed for the second week in a row. The Patriots do have a lot of dynamism in the run game. Yeah, your boy Pierre Strong moved ahead of Kevin Harris. 
which he kind of did in game the week prior. Obviously, Ramondre played and played very well. So it was kind of lost probably there a little bit. You might have been the only one who was really paying heavy attention to that. Uh, but behind Ramondre's, you know, 170 yard rushing game or what have you, Pierre Strong played, for, you know, a, a good chunk of the snaps. One of the things that Ramondre was limited on as he was, you know, questionable and uncertain to play was his routes. His routes were down quite a bit from the typical rate. And Pierre Strong took those on, caught three passes, got some carries and rushed effectively, played comfortably ahead of Kevin Harris. Harris did have five carries to only four for Strong, but because Strong was playing the passing game as well. He was comfortably uh, ahead of him in snap rate and, and snap share and all that. It looks like Strong played 17 snaps. Harris only played seven. He got five carries on those seven. He came in in some obvious run situations. But for the most part, he was not the number two. It was very, very clearly strong. You do have Damian Harris back. And so you have – or expected back. And so you have, again, a log jam there. I'm hoping that Strong has earned – I mean, you go all the way back to August, they had wanted like a Ty Montgomery in, in some type of a passing role. I'm hoping maybe Strong's earned a little bit of a carve-out in a passing game role because he looks fun, certainly. The other guy in this passing offense playing more is Tyquan Thornton, who I know you, you've you liked a lot. Hasn't been doing a ton, but he's run over 90% of the routes or a route on over 90% of the dropbacks the last two weeks as Devontae Parker left early in week 14 and was out week 15. We could use him having a huge play for our Mac Jones, our Mac Jones start in the in the FFPC main event. We definitely could, and you would think that in terms of how these plays are drawn up, and as you watch the games, the guy who is the first read, and certainly you need to be in those first couple of reads to have much chance of actually building up target volume, in addition to having a decent route share. Hopefully, the fact that Nelson Aguilar was so awful. In this game and i've always liked aguilar I, he's obviously more of a backup talent than a true starter but when you look at the the depth of this passing offense where they have both johnny smith and hunter henry and smith got off to a little bit of a fast start last week actually had a couple of receptions then you go through these receivers obviously jacoby myers leading the way but then you mentioned Devonte parker Kendrick Bourne has been an explosive playmaker for them at times. Obviously, is going to be a playmaker as opposed to a volume guy. Then they have Aguilar. They have Taekwon in behind them. There is some incentive. Again, I think in addition to the other things that are going on with their offense, they want to not have to deal with another offseason of answering questions about the fact that they took Thornton ahead of Pickens after all of the bad wide receiver selections they've made in the recent past Aguilar was terrible in the game last week, drew the ire of Mac Jones on several occasions. I think we talked about it in the previous show, but, but similar to the deal with Garrett Wilson showing up, his quarterback, I mean, Mac Jones probably has to calm down a little bit, but those guys aren't making plays for him. He's not getting the play calls that he wants. I think that we could have a little bit more of a vertical element in this game. The Bengals, again, their defense is good. It's not the game that you would expect to have a passing offense breakout, but I do think the Patriots will pull out all the stops to win this game. I mean, this is essentially their season. They don't want to further this narrative that they can't do it without Tom Brady. Anything that they have in their repertoire, anything that they have in the bag of tricks is going to come out as they try and win this game against the Bengals. Yeah, but as you say that, I mean, doesn't that just mean I think their bag of tricks is to try to really slow the game down and play a low scoring game. I mean, 
it might get brutal if the bang we need some early Bengals points for this game to be fun because their path there might be less fun for fantasy than we might immediately think, which, you know, when teams are desperate, often they do fun things. They call trick plays and things. The Patriots, when they're desperate, like they were in Buffalo last year, and there was a little bit of weather, they threw the threw three passes in the entire game. They said, look, if we can establish the run, we're just going to keep running literally all game, have the fewest pass attempts in the modern NFL era in history. Even more, you know, fewer than any of the games back in the you know seventies and all that when they actually didn't throw that much, you know, comparatively, and they won. <laughs> like they, they, they didn't learn you know any kind of negative lesson from that. Their idea of you know being unique is to be boring. So that's not fun. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. No, it's not fun. And you, you go through and, and look at what they've done this season. They don't have any individual players. They don't have a receiver who has 300 routes. Right? You have Jacoby Myers who is drawing targets at a high rate, that 8.9 yards per target. But I, do you think he's going to get punished for what happened in the game last week? I mean, that would be kind of absurd because you look at it here and the rest of the guys just so far below him that yards per route number that people love and i'm looking at the numbers here in our ceiling signals tool you've got aguilar two three quarters of a yard per route below myers you have tyquan thornton below one i mean kendrick Bourne, the explosive playmaker almost a full route or for a full yard per route below Myers. I mean, they need Jacoby Myers to do it. And then my understanding is he's also not completely healthy this week. Yeah. He's gotten in some limited practices, has a shoulder injury. Um, The Patriots do have several players on their, uh, on their injury report, which they often do with limited practices. You get those questionable tags that Bill Belichick loves 
not always entirely clear how healthy they are. I mean, we saw last week with Ramondre Stevenson, it seemed like he might miss. Late in the week, it became pretty clear that he's probably going to play. Or actually, I mean, not entirely clear, but he ends up playing quite a bit and, and looking really good. That's always a tricky one. But yeah, whether or not a huge, huge factor in New England. I mean, some some factor. The other games, the outdoor games, to be somewhat cognizant of uh, Houston at Tennessee, Seattle, Kansas City, Detroit, Carolina, Atlanta, at Baltimore, Vegas at Pittsburgh. All those games are going to be cold. Some have a little bit of wind. Some of them don't have all that much wind. It's just sort of, you know, cold. The other one that's like kind of a potentially big concern is Buffalo. Another offense we obviously really need to do well for fantasy football. A lot of teams need to see do well at chicago we're getting more of the great lakes weather in in, you know chicago cleveland buffalo obviously gets hit uh, on their end on the east side of the the great lakes we have uh winds expected up around like 20 and and higher miles per hour so that's where you do get into the pretty clear this is going to typically affect the efficiency of passing games and then that also can affect the pass rates and those types of things. It's going to be cold. And with the wind, it's going to feel like apparently below zero. Doesn't sound like there's going to be a ton of snow. I think from what I've seen, but not a fun game. It could be more of a run heavy game. We know Buffalo obviously is typically a pass first team, but over the last month or so, they've been willing to run the ball. Some you have Devin Singletary this past week, getting back into more of a lead role. It was kind of nice to see actually, a little bit more clarity in that backfield in the sense that he minds he actually catches a touchdown in this game, but really falls out of the split. He had been kind of working into a three-way split. It became Singletary in, in the lead more where it had been pretty clearly split between Singletary and Cook with Hines also working in. You, you kind of had Hines fall out and those, those snaps go to Singletary and Cook not change a ton. But if you're getting into a two-back outcome you know you think about it like maybe it was 35 35 30 and now it's feeling more like you know 55 35 10 in terms of whatever opportunity routes snaps i don't know i mean there's obviously different layers to, to how those guys are used but singletary kind of in this 55 cooking this 35 but if the singletary cook which had been more between those two equitable and flat distribution of their usage if it becomes flatter in a two-back system suddenly it could be 45 45 10 instead of you know 35 35 30 like it was a couple of weeks ago or you know something in that range which the whole point i'm trying to make would be season high for cook really to get up into this 45 to 50 range he hasn't been i mean as much as he's caught up to singletary at times because heinz has been involved as well he hasn't been up near like a 50 percent share of the backfield in full that feels, I mean, again, now you're talking also about a game in Chicago, a Bears defense that can be beat on the ground, it can be beat in the air, you can do kind of whatever you want to them. If the Bills want to be a little more run heavy, I mean, number one, Josh Allen can add to that, right? And so if you have Josh Allen in fantasy, one of the great advantages is even in a weather game, he can run for 80 yards and two touchdowns for you. But outside of Allen, I think Singletary is viable in this scenario. I, I think you'd have to expect him to do a little bit more. I think this could be Cook's 
more or less best game from a usage perspective because of how they didn't really use Heinz a ton last week and how he had come on late and, and has been playing well. He played well again last week, even despite not really gaining a lot of snaps. I think there's some potential for what I just described, for him to bump up higher than he's sort of been all year. And I mean, John, we have some tough calls in some leagues, but we have Cook buried on some benches. And I mean, would it be crazy to, to, to consider starting him? <sighs> crazy like a fox is that what you're suggesting. It would be tough, right? You mentioned that they are pass-oriented and yet have these other things that they can do. Josh Allen put the team on his back last week, and even though the receivers struggled, he put up this massive fantasy score. He got his fantasy managers to a great spot for Week 16 with advance, with where they're ranking in tournaments, that type of thing. And yet, down the stretch, and part of this is simply the game situation where on that final drive, they want to score with very little time remaining or on the final play, you kick that field goal. Devin Singletary goes down when the Dolphins are trying to let him score. But the end of that drive was a Devin Singletary kind of slog. And so possibly if you have terrible weather there, you could get more of that because on that drive, we finally were getting that snow. We were getting the weather that had happened before. Obviously, you got the fans throwing the snowballs on the field all, all throughout the game, but then did start to come down at the end of the fourth quarter, and they go to Singletary. I don't think that's weather. I think that's managing the clock, but he was the guy who jumped out there. It's too bad if you're a Bills fan and a Bills fantasy guy because they're set up nicely in this game if everything were neutral to really blow up the chicago bears tied for second worst in the nfl in terms of yards allowed per cover snap and in the last five weeks ben they've given up 20 plus point games to four of the five teams they played at the top wide receiver spot i mean the top wide receivers for opposing teams are lighting them up and i mean it looked like they were going to limit aj brown to an extent last week but by the end he has this epic number, I think over 200 air yards. He doesn't catch all of them, but pulls down some. We kind of joked about. Yeah, despite you saying that he looked like Antonio Gates, I mean, I'm still <laughs> tilted by that. So this is too bad because this was a chance for Stefan Diggs to go for 30, maybe for all of those teams that stacked the three guys together. You also get two Gabriel Davis touchdowns. Maybe you're betting against Diggs and just have Gabriel Davis. I mean, this could be the game where he actually gets a little bit of volume, catches the passes that are thrown to him, has two long scores, and suddenly he's this week's KJ Osborne. It's a little bit less likely if, especially because the Bills are going to dominate this game, right? I mean, you would expect that, and yet, we would have thought that they would have a hard time staying close with Philadelphia last week. And it was again, the genius of Justin Fields that allowed for so many fantasy points from Jalen hurts, AJ Brown, Devonte Smith, because he kept Chicago relevant enough that you didn't get that game shut down at halftime. Yeah. I think if you have fields, I mean, this is actually like the weather and all this, it's like not a bad situation for fields because you actually kind of want him to be more run oriented, which he already sort of is. Maybe it means that the bills can key on that more. I don't know, but they still probably have to respect his downfield passing, which has been good enough. And that's helped the running certainly. Although, you know, the running has been the bigger part. He's going to run for a good chunk of yards in this game. And hopefully he does. 
uh, enough to to keep the game close, like you said, because yeah, we don't want to see a significant blowout right away. That wouldn't be ideal. Could see the Bills really throttle it down. That scenario, probably talking about a lot of James Cook in the second half, Sean. <laughs> kind of kind of thinking of another outcome there where James Cook becomes, I think, pretty interesting. He's had a couple games this year so far where he's been heavily used in the second half. They've, I think, I think pretty clearly, if you've really tracked the way they've used Devin Singletary all year, some of his downs in usage have not been because they don't like him or anything. They've been in situations where they don't want to overwork him because they haven't needed him in those spots. He's the guy that has gotten the most touches throughout the year, and they've worked him a decent amount. But they're thinking, look, we want to make a run in the postseason. We want to play 20, assuming they get the bye. They want to play 20 games and, and, and play in the Super Bowl. We need our, you know, our lead running back to be able to make it that far. You could see a decent amount of cook. You're probably not going to see Naheem Hines carrying a lot in garbage time. I think I just talked myself into even more James Cook expected in this game. He's not an easy play. So for anyone listening, not somebody that I'm like actively advocating for, but you were talking about this sly like a fox idea and being incredibly sneaky. It'll I mean, this will be a fun game. Uh, that, that note you had about how the Bears have been really struggling against, you know, number ones. Obviously, that's a great thing for Stephon Diggs without any weather concerns. I think it's probably still a great thing for Stephon Diggs, the way that he's been used in close and the way he runs routes. The way I'm interpreting that is they can't, from a secondary perspective, stop good route runners that are good at getting open. And Stephon Diggs is one of the best. I mean, he's, he's incredibly good at that. And in the short area, creating separation, creating space, you'd think he's going to have plenty of short catches. They're still going to throw some. I, I bet he has it's seven a, or eight a variety catches. of styles that they've given up the yardage to, but definitely I think Diggs fits in exactly what you're saying there. Amon Ra, Garrett Wilson, Christian Watson, A.J. Brown, all of those guys have lit him up. Yeah, A.J. Brown is still – I mean, the guy had 180 yards last week, and you compare him to, to Antonio Gates. And I wanted him to get in on that touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so keep an eye out on – you know, through the weekend, on the weather reports. Um, so if you're listening to this, it's Friday. We're recording Thursday. A lot of our thoughts are based on the Thursday morning weather reports. They could have changed by Friday a little bit. Most of the games are on Saturday. Because of the holidays, we hope everybody has happy holidays while we have a, a moment to say that. But there are, Sean, also games don't have weather. Those are just some intriguing matchups that we could discuss this week. We don't have to just talk about the potential negative. And one that looks like it might be a pretty huge one for deciding some, some fantasy, fantasy semifinal matchups is Monday Night Football this week. We have the Chargers on the road in a dome at Indianapolis. Colts benching Matt Ryan, going with Nick Foles, but they're doing it in a situation where they're facing a team that teams, opposing teams, love to run against the Chargers. Now, we don't have Jonathan Taylor either. He's out. Pretty big bummer for those who have Jonathan Taylor if you had made it this far. Like most Jonathan Taylor drafters did not make it this far. But if you had somehow, pretty big bummer that he won't get to play in this matchup with Nick Foles at quarterback. You're expect- I mean, Foles, I think, is even better than Matt Ryan almost for, for running back dump out, dump offs. Maybe not massively better because Ryan's immobile as well, but you're going to get, you know, potentially some checkdowns on the pass attempts that are called, but also a lot of runs. 
And what we are left with is Zach Moss, who played the majority of the snaps for the Colts after Taylor left. We also have Deion Jackson, obviously played a lot uh, earlier this season, had that you know 10-catch game or whatever it was, had some moments so far this year as well, but he played significantly less than Zach Moss in this game after Taylor left. And, and, and Moss really handled the majority of the rushing. They ended up running a ton in this game. Obviously, they were ahead by a massive margin, ended up blowing the game. But you get 24 carries for Moss, 13 for Deion Jackson. That's going to be an interesting game. And then, it, obviously, the flip side, you have a lot of storylines with the Chargers. You got Mike Williams. You got Austin Eckler. You got Keenan Allen. You got Justin Herbert. They need to get into the playoffs. He's been throwing passes at a very high rate and exciting offense to target, sort of like the Bengals that we had been talking about before. This could be a team that impacts the fantasy playoff picture. Haven't been as exciting as we thought back on in draft season, but one of the things we talked about in the offseason was they had a favorable playoff schedule. Part of it was they're playing in good climates or in domes in, in all their playoff games. And that'll bring us to the win bet segment of the week. Sign up today to receive a special sports offer. Bet $100, win $100. Download the win bet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Fun matchup could be a huge one for Monday Night Football, Sean. How do you see it going? Well, if it's our win bet segment, then we've got to pick Gerald Everett. He's got a top 20 overall matchup. He's got the fourth best tight end matchup and the best among really relevant tight ends this week. Now, I had said a week ago, I thought that the Chargers were going to be more dynamic. I thought that part was disappointing. I would expect them to control this game and... <laughs> The frustrations continue for Justin Herbert and his guys, but it is a good matchup and maybe they are able to jump out, create some points early, get them into that situation where then that Indianapolis Colts side is interesting. I like the move to Nick Foles here. If nothing else, it gives you a little bit of hope, which if you're a Colts fan or you're a fantasy guy going for Colts players, you need a little bit at this point. You mentioned that Zach Moss was the guy who, really dominated touches in the running game last week. One of the elements there was that Deion Jackson did fumble late. His fumble ignited the Minnesota crowd that is in the throes of starting to believe their team is going to make this amazing comeback. He doesn't touch the ball again after that. And yet Zach Moss so bad in this game. You can look at the raw numbers. You can look at his peripherals where he's bad before contact. He's bad after contact. Doesn't break a lot of tackles. All of that kind of thing. I mean, it, it, it's Zach Moss. He's not going to suddenly change now that he's with the Colts. With Deion Jackson, you have more athleticism. You have some of that passing game upside. I think that he could benefit from the very dynamic you talked about where they could trail. Nick Foles checks off. And if he starts to play well, then I think that would also then carry over to opportunities in the running game. And everybody who's been following fantasy, listening to fantasy, knows the Chargers are exploitable there. You don't even have to go into any advanced stats to understand that they're just very straightforward yards per attempt, yards per game, all of the things that they do allowing you to run, jump right off the page and make them a great matchup here. But they also do struggle when you go to some of these other elements. They struggle to make tackles for loss. They're fourth worst in allowing opponent evasion rate. So maybe you could argue that Zach Moss could even run against this Chargers defense. But I do think if you're looking for a guy, and one of the things that does happen, number one, two fantasy managers who take the stars and they go down, 
also to zero RB managers. You're continuing to look for players here. And so it might not even be something where you plan to play Deion Jackson in week 16, but you might need to block your opponent if he or she are dealing with some issues. It might be something where you're going to gamble on the big game in week 16 and what that might mean in terms of opportunity in week 17 because you don't know what's going to happen to your roster there. I guess what I'm saying is I think this game could be fun in terms of what it means for the fantasy championship ramification down the line. Yeah, that'll be a really interesting one to track. And then the Chargers. You mentioned Gerald Everett has the good matchup. That's exciting. I mentioned the Donald Parham thing. Parham didn't play a ton, and Everett's like routes didn't change a ton. Now, when I say that, it's worth noting that like his routes, frankly, all year have not been elite for a tight end, and he's still produced pretty well. He's been a fantasy relevant tight end all year. His season high is 82% of dropbacks, which is that's a good number. That was week nine, but then he got hurt in week 10. But other than that, he actually only had two other games over 70%. You look at the first seven games of the year before their bye, uh, both those 70% games, 72%, 74% in weeks three and week five, they came in that stretch. But the other five games, 68, 66, 63, 61, 58. So he has this range in the you know, 60% of dropbacks range where, where he was running routes. He gets hurt week 10, he misses week 11. He comes back to 59%, 65, 66, 65 over these last four weeks. A little bit lower than when he was able to touch into the 70s at times. And like I mentioned, had an 82% route rate in that one game. Not substantially lower. That's the point I'm trying to make than what he was earlier. And yet, kind of hard to parse is what I'm getting at as well. Because you also have the element where Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are back, right? And so he at that lower route rate has been able to earn volume at a certain level that has been viable at the tight end position this year that has been so weak. Harder at that route rate to envision it when Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are both healthy. Harder still when Parham's there. He only ran routes on 23% of dropbacks, but but drawing some volume. Parham is a, you know a pretty much a receiving only sort of secondary tight end. He had the three targets, three catches. I still like Everett in this spot, but I, I guess I just want to sort of talk through that thing through that uh, for anyone who's contemplating him. But there is, you know, there are paths to him being squeezed out a little bit. And that's, I guess, a little bit of the concern for me. And Keenan Allen could have a big target share in this game. He, I mean, didn't look dynamic, but has drawn a pretty decent number of targets recently. He has the number three overall matchup this week, according to the PMR. If it flows through Allen, then, I mean, you're not exactly looking for scraps, but you are into that kind of five to seven target range for Everett, really for your hopes, as opposed to kind of the median or thinking that you have, you know, some magical 10-11 target upside game. And that's harder to envision. And then and Eckler too. I mean, I yeah, I that's sort of where I'm getting at is you can really see this passing game get concentrated on three guys where it's like Alan Eckler are the big volume guys, and then any other shot play or you know, big moment play is going to be for Mike Williams. And so it's kind of those three and then everyone else. And then if it's that distribution, Everett is fighting with Josh Palmer, and he's fighting, you know, potentially also with you know Donald Parham taking a couple, but there's just not a lot there, right? And so even just two or three targets for Parham would be a would be a headache at that point because there's just not a lot after that. At the same time, last week what we saw, nine targets for Allen, eight for Williams, only three for Eckler. He got a little dinged up uh, in-game. He ended up still playing a pretty solid snap share, but Josh Kelly also got two. So five for the running backs. 
that left six for Everett, despite you know Palmer also getting five and Parm getting three. Not a terrible outcome, all things considered, in that scenario. But that was a 42 pass attempt game. Um, you can see more even for the Allen and Williams contingent. You could also see less. Nine and eight for those two is kind of a lot. You could certainly see more for Eckler. He only had three in this game. Sometimes he'll have 11 target games, right? So just sort of thinking through the ways that the targets can kind of split out from, a, I guess, more of a projection standpoint. Because we've seen so few games with this passing game, uh, you know, passing skill position group at full strength, it, it, it feels a little bit like an early season sort of trying to parse small sample usage stuff to figure out what the range actually is because it is a big spot. I mean, it's, it's a big spot. We know the Chargers need to win. We know they're rolling finally. Uh, they've won their last two, three of their last four, playing a little bit better. They could have been better last week, obviously, Sean. We expected more in that matchup with the Titans. A little bit disappointing. They got out ahead and played a little bit too conservatively, frankly, and end up letting the Titans score and tie it late, and then they get that last field goal drive. Hopefully, that's the one where you know we've talked about over the years of, of stealing bananas. You love to see a good team put their foot on, on an opponent's throat in that spot. Ryan Tannehill goes out, and they let the Titans linger. Hopefully, they learn their lesson from that a little bit. If they get out ahead of the Colts here and they say, we want to make this a three-possession game as quickly as possible and make it tough on the Colts, I, I got to believe that they will be more – inclined to do that in this one because it didn't execute well with the lead against the Titans at all. And it, it was pretty obvious. And we've talked a lot about the value of the potential receiving weapons in this game. You mentioned Eckler there and he also projects extremely well. He is the number one back by game level similarity by a huge margin this week. And that's not a huge surprise considering his overall scoring level, but Eckler projects to, take you to the fantasy championship, which is what you wanted from him. And a couple of the other names toward up in the top, Christian McCaffrey, again, not a surprise, Tony Pollard. Pollard actually has his biggest EP workload this past week in games where Elliott played a sort of normal-ish snap share, but actually underperformed. So that was too bad for fantasy managers who kind of got to that spot. And maybe some of you went out in the fantasy quarterfinals jerk mckinnon obviously rising with what he has done recently and then you have josh jacobs and joe mixon for their sort of normal grinding type of projections even though obviously jacobs has been quite explosive this season maybe the most exciting game in terms of reality and fantasy put together is this vikings giants game with new york trying to make their push to the playoffs with the Vikings sticking in there, trying to make sure that they get the two seed and put pressure on Philadelphia with Hertz out. Saquon Barkley bounces back. And th this one seemed to perfectly fit the narrative where they do kind of save him. And then he comes through in the game where they need it. But Justin Jefferson, KJ Osborne, the real stories. And Ben, they project very well again here. They're both in the top five, according to the PMR. And you jump in and look at what the Giants have been doing recently with receivers sort of globally. And they've given up the seventh most points to the receiving position over the last five. Jahan Dotson had his big breakout game. That was a heartbreaker for Pat Kareem. 
And me, when he catches the 60-yard the 60-yard pass late in addition to his touchdown reception, he's been able to find the end zone even on very limited volume throughout the season. Before that, it was Devontae Smith. Before that, it was Terry McLaurin. So when you're giving up points to the Washington passing attack, that's not great. Before that, it was C.D. Lamb. Before that, it was Amon Ra. This is a team where, for a while, they were playing quite well in the past defense. But now it's a team that is really sort of scrambling to get all the pieces to fit, and yet they're there. So are, are you liking them to be able to, I don't know if you say spring a second upset, but continue their push? Are they going to be this playoff team from the NFC East? And now that our Saquon Barkley teams are all eliminated, it's kind of the game. Well, Barkley looked great last week, and – yeah, I mean, you, as you said, it kind of fit what we had talked about where we thought maybe they'd turn them loose a little bit more in this one after they had kind of been a little cautious the week prior. They did. Catches passes. Catches some passes, scores a short TD, shows efficiency uh, You know, in the running game, looks explosive, frankly. It was exciting to see. We haven't seen him look as explosive maybe over the last month as he did early in the season, but a big game for those who played him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think – they're they're still very much in in the mix here, right? And I think they're gonna be trying to to put up points on this Minnesota team. Daniel Jones, I know I've seen looked at some projections, projects really well this week, largely because you know you're talking about Minnesota in the dome and opposing quarterbacks have been really good in that in that scenario. Even Matt Ryan was able to have a half decent game in that scenario. A pretty good spot for the Giants offense. Obviously, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess I don't know how to play that. There's not there's not much we can do at receiver. Darius Slayton would probably be the, the top option, but I don't know how you would play him. Richie James, I, Isaiah Hodgins. I mean, you, you could make a case for any of those three in, in certain spots if you're really kind of desperate. Don't know that I really want to make that case, but it, it is kind of interesting as we talk about some of the really bad weather games this week, Sean, if you could – you, you talked about not picking up random waiver receivers and playing them. I bet for a lot of people who are contemplating something like that, the best options that they're seeing are these Giants guys that, that are probably available to just add and play if you wanted to in some spots. That, I think, would be a tricky move. You mentioned the the Vikings. I don't, I don't know if I could buy into the KJ Osborne stuff either. You mentioned he has a great matchup. His role didn't really change. It's been the same role all year. He just had a spike week last week in a game where they had to throw from down 30 points and, and threw for 400-plus yards. You know, you talk about trends and, and buying into to some of these things when they hit. This is not one that looks like anything other than just what I described. I mean, a, a huge passing environment that brought along a number three receiver who's still in his number three role. And for the most part, it's been obviously Jefferson one and then Phelan and Hawkinson two and two, three in some order kind of competing great game for Osborne. Still got to be optimistic about, you know, what that meant if you have him in dynasty or something like that, but uh, would have a tough time plugging him into a, a, a matchup as well. It'll be interesting. I mean, you, you said it could be a huge game. I mean, the, you would expect this to be one of the higher scoring games the way Minnesota has been playing lately, both defensively and offensively and, and how their games have tended to trend. And so, Maybe I'm a little bit pessimistic about some of those ancillary pieces. Obviously, if you have Jefferson, you're playing him. If you have TJ Hawkinson, you're probably, you know, no doubt playing him at, at tight end. There's just so few tight ends that would be more exciting than that. 
I'd have a hard time with Thielen kind of deciding what to do there if, if you had him. But Saquon, Dalvin Cook, you're playing these guys. I mean, a lot of the decisions seem sort of obvious. And so, I don't know, would you – do you like this game enough that you'd be willing to consider an Osborne or one of the Giants receivers? I think that the note here for me is just it does reinforce the explosiveness that he brings versus a Thielen and that it's so hard to see any scenario where outside of just you know catching a couple of short touchdowns that Thielen can blow up and be the guy people want. Considering what happened last week, to not get much from Thielen, to not get much from Hawkinson, I mean, that part has to be very frustrating. And while you mentioned that the role is the same, and this is going to be the best game of KJ Hosford's career, right? But there is the potential for it to lead to a slightly expanded role in the future. You were talking about some guys where maybe they would be out there on waivers and they could be added. Drake London's a big name, but he's been so poor and the Falcons passing offense has been so poor. You mentioned him at the intro. He might be an interesting guy to wrap it back around to at the end. Where I said that, I mean, he's getting this large target volume the whole way, but it really does kind of segment itself or or break itself up into sections of the season where the first six weeks he's at 33%. The next group weeks seven to 12 drops down to 20%. And you have this sort of complete collapse of the passing offense for the Falcons. They start losing games. Marcus Mariota eventually gets benched. But the last couple, you have week 13 and the bye coming out of that. Desmond Ritter makes his NFL debut, doesn't throw for 100 yards, but looks about as good as you can look, (laughs) failing to accomplish that. 40 plus percent of the target volume over the last two. And that includes a game where there were enough passes that it is a little bit more relevant. I mean, London draws 11 targets in this game. He's maybe one of these more borderline type of plays where it is a realistic play, yet yet it would be difficult. Yeah. I mean, all of these decisions come down to specifically who you have on your roster. And it's, you know, we, we sit here and we're talking about the different players, but you know, some of the questions I've gotten this week, they, they've definitely trended more towards very specific and it really is dependent on on the alternatives and and who you're looking at obviously and so in some cases you can pull the trigger on some of these guys in other cases your alternatives are going to be better and you know it's going to be different depending on league format league size league depth some leagues are way too shallow to be considering these guys some leagues are so deep that i mean the the implication that they'd even be available on waivers even some of the like you know richie james i was mentioning is is rostered and a lot of the, you know, main events and things like that. He was added weeks ago. And, and so, you know, you talk about formats that are a little bit deeper, those guys are not even available. And certainly like a Drake London is is not going to be available or anything like that. Obviously in those formats, you can't even add players at this point in the year. But it is all very dependent on on your league and those things. And I, Sean, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I don't have – much to add about Drake London. The one that I wanted to close with, you mentioned as you were mentioning a lot of players was uh, Jarek McKinnon. I mean, we just have to play him at this point if we have him in any leagues. I, I That game does look like it's going to have a little weather. Could be a little bit more of a Pacheco game. At the same time, Pacheco's fumbled a number of times now. He fumbled in this game. That started to lead into to more Jarek McKinnon. McKinnon's getting hot right now. He's Part of the thesis of drafting him this offseason was – 
what he did in the playoffs last year and how much better, Sean, as you and I talked about and you love to point out, how much better their offense looked when they went to him over CEH or CEH got hurt to just be in like an explosive play guy and not be – he doesn't have to be a superstar running back, but just be an addition to the offense, hit the holes where you have to in the ground game, get explosive plays, even just 10-yard explosive plays when you're, the ball's dumped off to you, be able to show a little burst and get upfield on the short passing passes that he gets. He's going to be left open sometimes, right? Because you're talking about Patrick Mahomes, his TD reception against the Texans. He's just left wide open in the flat. It's a great role to be in, in the Chiefs offense, and he does it well enough we talked about him on the first show eight eight high value touches in each of the first two games he's a guy that i mean i i have more faith in him than pacheco at this point in part because of pacheco's fumbling and all that even though a little bit of a cold weather game if they get out ahead in seattle it seems like a game where pacheco could really run the faith the trust of the offense and the trust of the coaching staff has to side with jerick mckinnon right now Seahawks can give up a lot of pass receptions to running backs. See, that's been a, a thing for them for quite a while. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm expecting at least a five, six catch game for him in this one, for him to be involved again as they continue to fight for that number one seed. So, he's a guy that you know I've gotten a lot of questions about. Can we sit him? Can we not? I mean, the guy's coming off back to back thirty point games. Obviously, people want to play him. They want those points. But it's like, how much do we trust that? A lot of it is based on the two touchdowns in both games. I think you gotta you gotta play that string out. It's the perfect opportunity here because the Seahawks could do some fun things. But you mentioned, yeah, there's risk anytime that you're the backup, more or less. And especially if the Chiefs are trying to get Pacheco going, they're trying to establish him as a guy who can be the driver of the offense when teams are begging them to run and begging them to run. But one of the elements with that is that if the team is begging you to run, you need these guys who their profile can actually take advantage. Jared McKinnon is averaging more than three yards before contact. And he's not going to be a big after contact guy with his size. And so you're not going to get that element of it that people are so drawn to, even coaches. And yet, this mix of broken tackles and forced missed tackles, he has a 20% evasion rate. And some of that leads into that before contact explosiveness as well. And so in my Monday piece, I kind of, you know, half jokingly, but half seriously suggesting that it's actually Jerick McKinnon, who is the next coming of Brian Westbrook and LaShawn McCoy that the Chiefs have been searching for under Andy Reid this whole time. And you got a guy in his 30s who's not a big dude and has been a part-time back, failed in his first couple stops at the NFL level, at least if you had high expectations for him. And yet, you look at what happened in the reality playoffs last year, as you talked about, and you look at how they functioned in the last couple of weeks and how they've gone to him and he's delivered. I mean, he's the guy who makes the offense work. He's what they desperately hoped for in Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I mean, yeah, he's got to be the guy. I just, as a Chiefs fan, I hope they stick with it. Trying to force the other pieces in there are not working at all. I don't think it's going to ever go to where he has this huge number of touches because he's so important. They want to keep him around and healthy for those high-value touches that you discussed. But in this particular offense, I mean, you think about Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who before he goes on IR, had completely and totally played himself out of really any meaningful snaps 
And yet he was a fantasy dynamo while he was playing himself out of a workload. If you can score those points in the Chiefs offense while you're playing so poorly that you're getting benched for other guys that the Chiefs don't want to play. I mean, think of what Jarrett McKinnon can do. And again, I mean, this can be very misleading because where a guy was coming into the NFL and where he is in his 30s after he's been on IR essentially for like his body wearing out (laughs) and that kind of thing, those are two different things. But when you watch the game right now and you see the explosive plays he's making, he looks more like that guy who came into the NFL and was arguably overdrafted simply because he was such an extraordinary athlete. Absolutely. Uh, could agree more. Looking forward to that this week, Sean. It's going to be a fun week. We also obviously want to wish everybody you know, a, a happy holiday, an enjoyable time with family, whatever you're doing over the weekend. It's uh, a little bit wild for those of us that are this into fantasy football that we have, you know, all the games on Christmas, even Christmas this year, they fall on a Saturday and Sunday with the schedule being pushed back. It's the semifinals. There's still a lot going on. If you're like me, you're trying to balance family plans with how much football you're going to actually be able to watch and and how you're going to manage that. But it's going to be a, an absolute blast, obviously. And, and we hope for everybody who listens and has listened with us all throughout the year. And those of you that are still listening here in late December are probably our, our biggest fans. So we appreciate you guys so much. Hope you all have a really incredible holidays with your families and, and, and really enjoy the, the weekend. Both, you know, the gift giving and, and receiving and family stuff and the, the football that'll that'll be on in the background. Completely right. And the NFL has made that a little bit easier, as you mentioned, by taking most of the games actually off of Christmas Day itself. So it should be the perfect balance. We wish you a happy holidays. We love you. I'm Sean Siegel. With me has been Gretch. As you get ready for this wonderful holiday stretch of games, Ben is still writing a ton of stuff. He'll have things for you in stealing lines. He was actually even working on some of that during the show today which is kind of fun (laughs) (laughs) he'll have input volatility for you in stealing signals we'd love to have you guys over rotaviz if you need that late christmas present the coupon code rb radio 2022 gets you a 25 percent discount on a one month subscription we'll have the new coupon code for the one year sub very very shortly yeah i'm not even gonna go through the rest of it you guys know what to do have a happy holiday and Good luck in the fantasy semifinals. We hope you win. We hope we get some stories back about how you took down your home league, beat your work friends, beat your college buddies. Some stories about people winning huge sums of money. Ben, I do know that some folks we've discussed on the show in the past and are part of the Sealand Bananas community are doing very, very well in their leagues up at the top of the leaderboards. That part, always very, very cool. Yeah, Christmas 2022 in these last games of the season, I think really redeeming what was a slow start to the year. I'm having a lot of fun. Good luck. We'll talk to you soon. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. 
My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.